You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewind, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA razzle-dazzle. Now your host, Clifton Bush. And welcome again to the NWSL Rewind, presented to you by Modern Soccer Coach Education. We are back from the break, well-rested, uh, eager eyes, ready to get back at it. How are you feeling, Sierra? I am good. It was a good set of games, and at least they were all on the same day, so that makes our lives a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, a little bit hard when I had to somehow figure out how to get two TVs uh, and uh, <laughs> like and my laptop, all the like my phone. Like I'm trying to get like, four multiple screens to watch yeah, all the, every game was on at the exact same time at one point. So <laughs> the ultimate setup. Yeah, they might want to figure that one out. That makes, <laughs> makes it a little bit difficult to. Uh, for the fan, you know, the non-typical fan, I guess, the league fan, to enjoy the full slate of games. (laughs) Uh, Not everybody's going to be able to have that many screens to watch all the games at once, I would say. Yeah, exactly. A laptop, an iPad, a phone, and then a TV. Let's see. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. All you NWSL Rewind listeners out there, Sierra and I, we're we're doing it for the cause here. We are we are watching these games every week, making sure we get it taken care of, so we yeah. get all the information to you. Although this week, four games, pretty straight up and down, easy stuff. And we're gonna talk yeah. about the games like we always do. Definitely gonna hit all those games. Uh, definitely gonna have a great interview for you at the end of the show. You want to stay tuned for uh, what. We had a, a conversation with Yael Averbush, uh, so major, major interview alert. First uh, active player, I think, to be on the show, right? Like, yeah, former players, but uh, first one in the league playing right now, uh, talking about development, what she's done to get where she's at, uh, the differences here overseas, her time yeah. in. Kansas City versus where she's at in Seattle and how all those cultures kind of mix and mingle. So stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned. Um, but we're also going to get pretty heavy into these trades. Uh, yes. Movement, movement, movement. So hit the halfway of the year and everybody decided to add or subtract to figure out how to make their team better for the year. So we're yeah. going to definitely get into that. So, But first, first the games. You know, we've got to start with the the main course here, right? Yeah. So Sky Blue, Orlando, three uh, two win for Orlando. Sky Blue twice ties it up. Yeah. Um, and in you know rare fashion, Orlando getting kind of a a later winner uh, yeah. to secure a full three points and kind of steal a few points from Sky Blue. It feels like. Yeah, well, and I think um, the big addition that we saw was Dorsey on that game. I think she added a huge attacking presence, and coming out of the back, she really added an element we haven't seen from Sky Blue, and I think that that was that kind of piece that they've been missing. Um, But with that, I think Orlando, I think the one person that people aren't really talking about that they probably should be more often is Sydney LaRue. I think she's playing – the season of her life right now. And I think she's doing so, so well, and she's so dangerous, and she's scoring goals every game. And so I think that's something that people need to start paying attention to is that 
yeah, you've got Marta, yeah, you've got Alex Morgan, you know, but you've got Sydney LaRue who's scoring these crazy diving header goals and just sellout goals. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like she has a bit of a resurgence in her want to, like, put herself out there like that. Like, just, you know, like you're talking about, it's effort yeah. plays and hustle plays. She's always been fast, but maybe there were times in Seattle or at other clubs where maybe she was trying to, she was holding back and wasn't necessarily taking it all the way to 99%, right. 100%. Uh, I, I would I would probably say there's a lot happening here. I, I think Morgan is probably having one of the best years she's ever had, whether yep. that's club or country. Yep. And I think it's hard just – and we'll get to the North Carolina game, obviously, but when you have that many attacking threats, yeah. Yeah. You, I think it's hard to mark and deal with all of them. And Sydney yeah. LaRue, I – kind of feel like is the recipient of Alex Morgan having like the most amazing year like she's had in probably five or six years so I I mean for me I think it's a little bit of give and take you know a lot and kudos to LaRue for sure she's she's out there killing it but there is some of like how much is that like teams if you're McCaskill you know like you're on the other end trying to do the exact same thing and you just don't have you don't have another when you're the option to get keyed in on yep it's kind of like you're the option, so it makes it a right. lot a lot easier to to mark up and defend. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I think one thing we, you know, for that game, I felt like this was probably, for me, the best performance we saw from Sky Blue, like, overall. I mean, they've scored two goals. They tied it up every time. Um, Dorsey was really good. McCaskill connected with Dorsey well. I mean, I just think that they overall had good possession, good looks. They were scoring good goals. Um, I just think they they seemed like they were kind of finding that click and that connection. And I think that's good to start to see. And this is a perfect time halfway through season to start to really kind of find it and fine tune what they're doing now. Yeah. I mean, I think from a, from like a team standpoint, it's, you're looking at like, what does sky blue do now? You're halfway through the year. You've yet to win a game. I mean, at what point does Denise Reddy like you're you're obviously not looking really at playoffs, right. but you're looking at trying to salvage something. You're looking at trying to create something for next year, for yeah. you know, 2020, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's I think that's really difficult to do, especially when you have a player like Carly Lloyd in there who is, you know, we don't know what's going on with her and her mind. Right. But next year, with next year's World Cup, like how much is she going to do? Is she right. kind of the Abby Wambach of 2015? Right. You know, like is this right. her kind of right. last club soul before you start to think, okay, one more World Cup and maybe that's it? And right. so, what is she? What is Denise Reedy kind of building this team on? And obviously, it's, I mean, it's right. being built in McCaskill. It's being, you know, Dorsey's going to play a big role and that Freeman's going to play a big role. Uh, Sheridan has done increasingly better. And yep. so I think there's there's a base there, but yep. there's definitely future planning that I would imagine is going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, one of the big things that we have to think about is that, you know, I think they've got a stepping stone and they're going. And I think on the flip of the coin, you've, got Orlando who is just continuing to go I mean they are I think firing on all cylinders and you know even though Martha I think she was out last week for calf issues um but she you know she comes back in and 
the like 70th minute or 73rd minute and all of a sudden 82nd minute scores a goal, you know, I mean, it serves a ball. Morgan gets it. I mean, it just, and gives it to Hill. Hill scores a goal and she just creates, I mean, it's crazy to think you've got Morgan Hill, LaRue, you've got that attacking force. And then, Oh, by the way, Marta's just going to show up and come in for a few minutes and then feed you another ball that you're going to feed to someone else who also can score. I mean, that's such a deadly attacking group that they have on that team. Yeah, I mean, like, those are – that. that's the – I mean, it really is a deadly attack when you're talking about, like, a player like Hill is scoring the game winner, you know, mm-hmm. that close to the, you know, seven minutes from final time. You're going, right. man, like, there's just a lot – and she was just open. Like, I mean, yes, like she, right, right. it wasn't like, you know, the cross comes in and she's just open. And that's, I mean, at what point, like, you can't, it's hard to, like, continue to make sure that those marks are done every single time for that long. And if you have Alex Morgan crossing balls like that, I mean, they're inch perfect. You know, it's it's going to be a difficult task to, uh, to, to do. I mean, there's not a lot of back lines that are going to be able to do that, keep that focus for 90 minutes. And I don't blame Sky Blue at all. But no. I mean, that's definitely quality kind of yeah. showing through. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you got to think, I think people need to think too, you know, the goals that Sky Blue gave up minus, I think the third goal, um, you know, I think like the second goal was a diving header, Sydney Lewis score. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, good luck defending that. I mean, it's a, it was a brilliant goal by her. It was an all out effort. And I think, you know, so maybe that game ends 2 2 if, you know, because not everyone's going to sell out like LaRue did. And so maybe in a, another game, maybe another situation, that game ends 2 2 and they go about their business. Um, but I do think, you know, minus the result, I think I thought it was a good game. And I think that, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of Sky Blue and what, how they're going to maybe potentially build in the future and what's going to come in the next year or so. I think they've, they're starting to build that foundation of what's to come. And I'm, I think everyone's kind of looking forward to seeing like what will happen in the next year. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably a little easier. Uh, just kind of the last note I would say is like a little easier. McCaskill having a little bit of help up top. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> as opposed to being a lone, you know, lone yeah. number nine or trying right. to come out of the seven or 11 spot, you know, like, you're, like it's, I think that that's probably not going to be her her big way to success is right, just being right. so isolated. And so I think yeah. for me, you know, good to see that there's maybe a little bit of adjustment in trying to get her a little bit of help. Now it hurts, you know, it might yeah. hurt in the midfield then right. um, with without Lloyd maybe being quite as mobile over 90 minutes as right. she has been in previous years. But uh, definitely good to see uh, her get a little help. Absolutely. I agree 100%. 0-0 Washington Spirit, Seattle Reign uh, after the Spirit lose the uh, lose one to Chicago 2-0 in pouring insane conditions <laughs> uh, two weeks ago. Yep. Uh, they, they hold tight this week and keep Seattle to a 0-0 draw. Uh, thoughts on, on Seattle not being able to kind of capitalize? I mean, obviously there's the missed penalty, but and there's Sierra's reaction to the miss (laughs) there we go (laughs) right up the middle not a great PK but it is what it is (laughs) so I mean 
Seattle's attacking ability thwarted this time? I mean, good defense by Washington or just kind of not taking care of the chances by Seattle? Uh, I mean, I think it's tough. I think you've got, you know, Washington had five shots, I think, on goal and Seattle had six. So you're not seeing, you know, a ton of shots on goal. You're not seeing, you know, in that aspect, I think um, this game we're start kind of see a little bit of Seattle depending too much on Rapino. Um, she's not going to be able to do it every single time. And so I think that Seattle is going to have to learn how can they be better without Rapino or with Rapino on, you know, getting some help. Um, but I do think, you know, Washington looked really good. I thought Rosa Vavell, she started and played a lot of the game, which was fantastic. Um, so seeing her add that addition to Washington was so much fun to see. Um, I think Sullivan was solid in the midfield, and I think she plays so well with Hatch and Benini that I just think they they look so good. And without Pew right now, I think they're they look. I mean, for not having your starting you know star forward, I think they're looking really good right now. Um, but I just think Seattle was just too dependent on Rapino, and I think that sometimes their possession almost hurts them. And we've talked about it previously in the show where. You know, these teams are getting in these rhythms where they're passing it a thousand times, and that's great and everything. But if you don't score goals, all that passing and everything that looks so nice doesn't build into anything. And so I think that was a little bit of the struggle this week on on their game. Yeah, I mean, and you can probably almost say the same Washington before yep. the Pew injury, relying yep. so much on yep. Mallory Pew week in and week out, like now maybe the load has to be spread out a little bit. You know, Laval getting more touches now, uh, trying right. to actually use Sullivan, you know, using Tedesco and Smith in wide areas in ways that weren't yeah. just like, hey, get higher to towards halfway up the field, and then can you find right. Mal? Like, that's, I mean, right. that's seen a lot of what was happening before. So maybe there's a bit more soccer coming out of the Washington camp. Yeah. I mean, I hate to be so cliche to be like, you know, addition with subtraction kind of a thing, but you're like, right. now maybe when Pew comes back, yeah. they have a chance to add her into a team that has a bit more quality yep. as a group. And so yep. maybe she can then be, create her magic from there. Yep. yep. Well, I agree 100%. And I mean, and like I said, I think that, you know, Washington's done a good job of just kind of flipping it a little bit and then working together and being able to do that. But I think, I think Rapino is kind of where Washington started. I think, you know, Seattle, they've just relied on Rapino and they, you know, hope that, and she's a good player. I mean, everybody knows that. Um, but, I mean, there's only so much you can do individually. And she's known on a, you know, national team level and she's known as, a, you know, as a very good player in the NWSL. So you taking on the team by yourself and not having much help is difficult. And I just think that they, they weren't really – I'm not saying that they just use Rapino, but I think the reliance of, oh, well, Rapino will score. We'll get a goal from her. And I think you saw that in that game where Washington held tight and they didn't get a goal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Washington has two – we've talked about this for sure. It's like Washington's fullbacks. If any, if yeah. Washington has anything, they have two right. very good fullbacks. Absolutely. And so you're, you're never – like it's not just going to be – I mean, Smith going up against Rapino yep. is going to be uh, – a very good battle. Yep. And it's one of the few teams where when Rapino decides to move from the left to the right, which mm -hmm. she typically does and just kind of, yep. well, I'll try and find it on the other side. Yep. Yep. 
then she runs into Dadesco, yeah, who's one v one is very good as well. So right. it's one of the few situations where you're like, yeah, no, I don't know where you know. You almost have to get her central, but then right. now she's running over the top of Taylor, and maybe right. it's just not as clean. Um, right. You know, I, I think the long Tsugi thing is is still for me is one of the. I mean, obviously, North Carolina has has the pairing, the kind of holding midfield pair, um, right. that is the envy of the entire league. Yep. But after that, I think Long and Utsugi have yep. done so well to hold wow. down the pocket in the middle of the park. Um, yep. I mean, these 0-0 affairs, I, you just hope that the soccer that's being played in Washington actually turns into goals and results. Right. And, right. you know, because right now it's just it's a little stale in the results. Right. The soccer right. may be improving, but the results aren't. So yep. hopefully we'll see a, a little bit Something. of a resurgence um one one chicago red stars portland thorns and i've have a feeling we'll talk a little bit about uh, chicago (laughs) yeah (laughs) but in this particular match (laughs) portland thorns uh are able to find an equalizer five minutes after nagasato was able to get the opener uh off of uh saved penalty that she then put back in and Sierra is shaking her head for those of you who cannot see her uh, right now. <laughs> um, so it was a really good day. It was a really good weekend for PKs clearly. Yeah, yeah clearly. So <laughs> but but Yuki was able to actually put this one away. Yep. Um, and take them up a goal. Uh, but Haran on set pieces has punished Chicago just like she did in the last yeah. match. Um, yep. there's that ball just kind of drops in the middle and Haran to me seems to have better balance than any midfielder yep. that I've seen. Like her balance is just amazing. She comes off one yep. foot and all of a sudden she's steady. She's ready to go and has the ability to just tuck the ball away. Um, yep. and so yeah. you end up with one, one, four yellow cards on the day. Yeah. You know, it was a pretty physical affair. Yeah. But at the end, two teams in the middle of a playoff race probably held serve and did what you thought they probably would do at that point. Um, Chicago with a bit of a light roster on the day um, due to the trade stuff that we'll get into. But if you're being honest, so was Portland considering uh, AD still wasn't back. Sonnet, who traveled, but, you know, was was didn't play. Right. Um, you've you know, so you've got a few players that are still kind of trying to get themselves. Rosso did get into the game, but not for very much time. So, a little bit of a of a battered roster for both both sides for very very different reasons, though. Yeah, well, and I think I think like you, I think you hit it on the head. I think this is a good result. I think it's not surprising for a lot of people. I think that both team playoff contention type teams. Um, I think, you know, the tough thing that's going to be for Portland is I think Coran got her fifth, so she's out uh, one game or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so she uh, play So that's match. unfortunate because I think they play Houston next week. So yeah. that's, you know, that, and Houston's having a, is having a day where they can pull points off people. So, you know, hopefully Portland will be able to kind of fill the hole and, you know, sort that out. But I think for me a big thing with this game is two things. I think one – I think you're really in this game, you start to see Kerr does such a good job of moving back lines and finding gaps because you're having, I mean, Portland defenders were crossing over people. I mean, the, the way she got her PK was simply off her movement. 
And so I think you're really seeing Kerr open up gaps and spaces and just getting, I mean, she is just giving back lines a tough, tough time. Um, and then I also think both goalkeepers came up huge. Um, I thought both goalkeepers played really well in this game, which is awesome to see. I mean, you know, the one, one, uh, like we talked about, you know, the PK and then Haran scored a good goal. So it wasn't like the goalkeepers gave up bad goals. Um, but I think they both played very well. So I think two, those are really good things about both these teams. The, yeah. I mean, I listen air just doing, I listen air things. I know, um, right? so <laughs> I won't, won't get in too much about it, but I, I think Britt Eckerstrom, this by far was her best game yep. that she's played in French's absence. Yep. And it's likely to be her last game that she right. played. So it, it looks like French is back for the Houston yeah. match. So, yep. I mean, she's she's going out on a high note here, which is yep. great. But, I mean, it took her maybe a little bit too long to, too long. Yep. to get into form and, you know, rise to the occasion like this was kind of yeah. her coming out but i mean this is her seventh game i believe if i'm correct right. six or seven and yeah this was by far and away her her best game i, I think she was one of the goalkeepers who was kind of contributing to some of the uh, goalkeeping woes six yeah. five six weeks ago that we, yeah. were, we were discussing and so i think it's yeah. it's great to see her kind of finding that form that she had, I mean, right. she was the goalkeeper of the year for uh, the W League in Australia. And so you're looking right. at that going, there's definitely something there, but it just it right. took maybe a few Not games too, too many to to come yeah. back and help Portland while French was was out with injury. I, I mean, this this game is, is highlighted in a couple of things, I would say. One, because of all the trades and all the kind of strange stuff, and that was definitely right. beat to death on the broadcast i would say but <laughs> yeah. um julie Ertz playing center back which we'll see if that sticks you know like that's going to be an interesting yeah. move so now Ertz and katie naughton playing in there in theory you're looking at casey short gets back in the game vanessa di bernardo they get their first minutes um so you'd imagine that right back left back spot whichever one is going to go to casey short now but now you're starting to see yep. the the back line take maybe a little bit of shape. And maybe right. Ertz – Chicago, for me, has played on the edge of, like, how high you might want to play versus yeah. a number of these teams that are especially very, very kind of root one. So your right. Houston's, um, your Utah's, like, these teams, yeah. when they finally do decide to counter you, they're going so fast the other way and – Right. Chicago is so compact so that they can keep the possession going that they've played really, really mm -hmm. high. With Julie Ertz there, at least it gives you somebody who I think creates a bit of depth, who's got a bit of smarts, who can say, hey, mm -hmm. maybe I see it just a little bit differently and I need – and she's going to need a little bit more space. Yep. You know, Ertz is coming off of injury still right. uh, and may not be quite as spry as, you know, right. Brittany Radcliffe or something like that, you know, where you're just talking about pace players. Right. So she's going to have to be more smart. And she was so smart in the center back role yeah. that I think it just really helped them against what is clearly, obviously, it's one of those, you know, kind of superior attacking right. models. Cern Gokovic, Sinclair, Carpenter, Haran, yeah. you know, like all those players are getting forward. She was very, very bright for me and providing compactness, a bit of depth 
and making things a lot less on the edge. I think I only remember one time where Klingenberg got around the outside and was able to whip one across. And there were now there were three Portland Thorns players attacking the goal, but it was the only time it happened. And in previous weeks, that's been happening to Chicago week after week where teams are just getting in behind, serving crosses, bang. Like, look at Orlando, right? Like, Orlando's a very good uh, picture of how that works. So, for me, Julie playing in the center back role definitely is something that we're going to keep our eye on. But adding then Casey Short, Vanessa DiBernardo, uh, Rosie White went out with an injury uh, prior to the game starting. And so that's another player. Then you start to add Kerr. You know, now you've, I mean, even, and we'll talk about it, but even with those trades, I think this is still a a very, very good team. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the big thing with Ertz is, is I think people, you know, maybe they don't forget, but I think you don't maybe understand the role of just a center back. And I think her leadership ability and communication ability is just, it's almost more important slash better than any technical skill, any tactical skill. Like I think, she has that presence where she can be on the field and tell people where to go and move them without doing anything. And so I think that adds. Yeah, for for sure. I mean, it's a, a listen there, a listen can do that. Right. But maybe not all the time. And maybe when they are moving forward, it's difficult to, to take instructions in the final third, it's difficult in the high yeah. mid third to take instructions right. from your goalkeeper on where you should be going right. much easier. Cause that's one thing that I think you're, you're probably right on it is like, for me, their defensive shape when attacking was a lot better this week yeah. than it has been yeah. in previous weeks. Um, right. But the big, big winner of the week, big winner uh. of the week. Uh, Sierra is not happy, uh, <laughs> but the big winner of the week, Utah Royals, with the late, late, as late of a goal as you can get to win it, uh, Brittany Radcliffe scores in 90 minutes plus four of what I believe was five minutes of stoppage time um, in order yes. to give North Carolina their first loss this season. Um I don't know. I think uh, Sierra thought North Carolina was going undefeated this year. That's just my that's just my take, people. <laughs> I I was a little I was a little I told Clifton I was a little nervous because it's hard to be undefeated all the time. I thought that they were really good. Um, I thought North Carolina did a really good job. I think that they dominated most of the game. Um, you know, they hit the crossbar twice, and you know. They were, I think as you watch the game, you see them as more of an attacking presence and they were getting in the box and they were really finding gaps. Um, now saying that, Utah finished and, you know, 94th-ish minute and not, it is a goal. And then they did a good job of kind of weathering the storm um, and holding, you know, North Carolina to no goals against them. And so um, dominated or not, it's about what, you know, the result is. And I think that Utah did a good job of holding strong and then finding a way to score a goal. Yeah. I mean, North Carolina has done kind of the same thing all year. And I think it's the one time that it looks like, you know, Utah, pretty set system, pretty normal. Like they, they kind of do their thing week in and week out. 
Chicago's kind of the same way. Most Some of these teams, Portland, the same way. They just do the same thing week in and week out. But when they play North Carolina, maybe you have to change a little bit. You might have to switch it up just a little. Like It's a, it's a little bit different in how North Carolina plays, uh, and they have the talent and ability to get at you. So a little bit of an adjustment this weekend right. for Laura Harvey in playing yeah. North Carolina. And it obviously it paid off. They were able to defensively hold and Corsi and Sauerbrunn, you know, definitely stalwarts in the center back there. Yep. Yep. So able to kind of just deal with the wide play and cover yep. the central play in a way that, you know, North Carolina hasn't been, wasn't able to score. With that said, this has not been an uncharacteristic North Carolina. Mm-mm. North Carolina has failed to finish yep. tons of chances this year. Yep. And eventually, in my mind, that was going to catch up with them. Yep. Somebody was going to nick one just because they don't kill teams. I mean, there's some games that should have been six, seven, eight, yep. like just on yep. like 1v1 open goal yep. sort of situations. Yep. And it finally bit them in yep. the backside this time. Uh, not <laughs> scoring those goals. And so I don't think that this is an uncharacteristic thing. I think yeah. Utah played like Utah, North Carolina played like North Carolina, and it just on the day a little bit here. Um, I mean, Radcliffe has obviously the pace oh to, to get in. Uh, I mean, she's she's done well coming off the bench for sure. Yeah. But this game, I think, played out – if this game went – 3-1 to North Carolina, you'd be like, yep. that's what the game was supposed to do. Right, but it went right. 1-0 to Utah, and I think you say, that's what this game was about. I mean, like, I think right, it was about, right. like, I'm not surprised by any of this, and there's not really much, no. like, to say tactically about it, because if you've ever watched a North Carolina game, that's how they played. If you watch any other team play versus North Carolina, they I tend to like- just switch it up <laughs> in order to deal with that box in the middle and figure right. out to play against the whether it's a box or flat or however it presents itself there's some form of man marking those players in the midfield and that is is always seems to be kind of the key to unlock north carolina for which they might have to find a little bit of a tweak when they get into the playoffs because you wouldn't want to get like this is kind of a one-off kind of game like a playoff match and so you don't want to get nicked in a playoff match and then that's it right well, and I think, you know, and you also have to give major, major credit to Ratcliffe for her goal because if anybody saw it, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, between her, my opinion, between her and Sydney LaRue's diving header, yeah. yeah, you just sit there and you go, well, I mean, whose goal was better? I mean, she, you know, I mean, she's on the 18, does works hard. It's all hard work, slides, gets up, and literally doesn't even see. I don't know how she did it doesn't see the goal and just pings one upper 90. No problem. And I mean, it was a brilliant goal. There was nothing anyone was going to do about it. No pressure was going to change it. Nothing. And I think major props to her for just working. I mean, it's 94th minute and you're just, you're killing yourself to score yeah. a goal. Doing what substitutes should, should do. Right? Absolutely. hundred percent. Coaches out there. That's <laughs> what your subs should do. Absolutely. Work your tail off. You're the fresh one. Uh, exactly so uh, that was kind of the slate of games uh, i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna see if we can't uh, get sierra to say anything provocative 
uh, here in the next uh, five minutes or so. Just talking, (laughs) just want to talk about the trades. Um, Sky Blue making a couple of moves. Sky Blue waves Kayla Mills uh, in order to make room on their roster for Armani Dorsey uh, to sign her contract. Uh, Obviously, the colleges are wrapping up. Some of the quarter system colleges are wrapping up. Some of these players are actually coming in, uh, joining their squads. And Amani Dorsey is one of those. And so she picked up, and we've talked about her in Sky Blue. Uh, I don't think Sierra has anything provocative to say about Amani Dorsey. Um, But that was (laughs) like, it's a good, I mean, it's a very, very good addition. Great pickup for that. Yeah. Yeah, Great great addition for, for Sky Blue. They needed somebody with just a bit of maybe pace and maybe, uh, Maybe she's young enough to not know better. <laughs> you yeah, know, like right, right, right. she hasn't been involved in Sky Blue and their history thus far this year. So maybe yeah. you know she's just quite there enough to go. Yeah, I don't really mind. Let's figure out how to win games. <laughs> um, exactly. Second uh, trade involving Seattle and Sky Blue. Uh, Adriana Leon goes to from Sky Blue to Seattle Rain, um, basically for draft picks. Uh, in the 19 draft. Uh, mm-hmm. Thoughts on Leon going to Seattle? I think it's a good addition. I'm not, I'm not surprised by it. I mean, I think, I think it'll be a good addition. I think she'll add a little bit there and I'm not going to say anything productive about her. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think, I don't think it's surprising. I think Leon is, my thing is, I think Leon is going to play in a Seattle system. Yep. Uh, I think she, I think you're actually giving, she wasn't playing a lot in Sky Blue, which is mm-hmm. fine. But when you send her to Seattle, I think she's going to be one of these like, hey, you might have sent somebody there who's going to actually now look to like get starting minutes. You know, yeah, you've got a. What was player. the? Who was it? Was it Merritt Mathias? Uh, who was the Houston to North Carolina trade? Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah so Mathias, like that Mathias trade was like, yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't playing. <laughs> And now she's, you know, <laughs> coming on yeah, in national right. team games. So yeah. you, I think it's, it, mark my words, it could be that kind of a situation. Yeah, it's a really good fit. Um, and then the coup de gras. The big uh, kahuna. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So I'm going to try to explain this trade for those of you who maybe <laughs> have not seen it. Uh, if you have and I get something wrong, open your Twitter. It's all over Twitter at this point. Open your Twitter up. Get a look at this trade. So three-way trade um, involving Chicago, Houston, and Utah Royals. Leaving Chicago are three players, Taylor Camo, Sofia Huerta, and Sam Johnson. Uh, Taylor Camo and Sofia Huerta heading to Houston. Uh, Sam Johnson heading to Utah. And so that's obviously those two players are the players that Houston gets. They're back to Chicago for their two players is the rights to Kristen press as well as um, some draft picks. But the big thing there, obviously the big takeaway is the rights to Kristen press. Now we know Kristen press came from Chicago. So the chances of her playing in Chicago probably were pretty small. Uh, So they Chicago then turned those rights around to Utah in exchange for Brooke Elby and the first pick in the draft next year as well as another first-round pick. So I think I explained that to you folks way better than I explained it to Sierra about 40 minutes ago. So that's a good, that's good news for everybody here. But major, I mean, you've got 
you've got two national team players obviously changing hands here and Kristen Press and Sofia Huerta. Uh, I mean, Taylor Camo was getting major minutes yep. for Chicago. Sam Johnson. Yep. You could consider her the starting center back for Chicago as well. Brooke Elby yeah. as an outside back for Utah, another big time player. Like she was just solid for Utah in a fullback role. So, I mean, thoughts on this trade, Sierra? <laughs> go. I don't know. I mean, it's it's very interesting, and it's a lot of pieces. And I think you know the big thing that we talk about all the time is is like how are each pieces like how is each piece gonna fit with each team, with each coach, with each city? I mean, there's a lot that goes into play. You know, everybody sees oh so and so's going to so and so, and that's all they see. And instead, you know, we got to really look at oh my gosh, I mean, this could really, I mean, they've got to figure out how these players are going to fit in the mold with their teams. And so um, I'm interested. I mean, I think Kristen Press coming back to the MWSL is awesome. I think it'll be a huge fit and it'll be an interesting, I'll see where she out, like how that mold with Utah, because I think Utah is doing really well. And so to see that is going to be fun. Um, I think Huerta and Cameo are, awesome players and to see them, you know, how are they going to gel in the, the Houston system? Um, you know, I think Huerta and both of them are just major players. You know, the question will be, can they get, you know, they should, but can they get decent minutes and where are they going to play in the Houston system to get them decent minutes? Are they going to play over some of the people that are currently starting in Houston? Um, so that's something that'll be interesting. I think Sam Johnson's going to be a really interesting one. I don't know, you know, Utah just beat North Carolina with who they have in the back four. So, yes, they have Sam Johnson, but are they really going to put her in a role where she's starting and getting a ton of minutes? I think that's the question mark is that you start thinking about, well, they did just beat North Carolina. How are they going to add her? What role is she going to play in that team? And so – it's kind of one of those things where you start to weigh things and see, well, I mean, is she going to have a huge impact at Utah? I don't know right now because I feel like they're kind of set with where they are. I, I would say probably not unless she switches to fullback somehow. Yep. Uh, but if she's planning on playing in front of Sauber and Corsi, I think it's going to be a hard, a hard sell in a more Harvey system. Yep. Um, it's so I think, uh, it's for me the trades are about they're more about fit than form. Yep. And I, th- I totally agree with you on that. Like it's it's much more about fit than form. But I would say this is that I don't necessarily know. So the like Sam Kerr, Kristen Press, Carly Lloyd situation. Yep. All three of those teams kind of got somebody who they needed. It was yeah. almost a little bit of a missing piece, and I think it really yep. worked out. I think now you have a few square pegs and a few round holes here. Uh, Kristen Press accepting. Uh, Kristen Press is, she's probably the attacking spark that Utah needs in order to be more consistent. I mean, you're probably not going to be able to rely on a Brittany Ratcliffe Mm -mm. goal, you know, all the time. (laughs) And so, I mean, I think Kristen Press is somebody who's going to be able to set up goals she's going to be able to create uh for other players as well as you know you know she's playing in behind a rod that's going to be a matchup or a pairing that is going to be very very key 
Um, and this is that probably brings you to the lineup that you get. Gory probably comes out. Yep. Press goes in. And yep. now you have Katie Stengel, Matheson, A-Rod in front. Um, when O'Hara gets back from injury, she probably goes back to outside back, I would say. And yep. now you have Moros, Corsi, Sauerbrunn, O'Hara, Young's daughter, Desiree Scott, who's been a stalwart holding midfielder with Press, Katie Stengel, Matheson, and Rodriguez. That's a playoff team. So I think Absolutely. it's like the one miss that they had. And by the way, you also have Abby Smith, uh, who's now in national team. Uh, <laughs> so now you're talking about like that's a playoff squad. Absolutely. So Utah, for me, because the fit was right, yes. gets the better end of this deal. And Sam Johnson, yeah. I think, is just going to be I – mean, she's just going to be backup. If something happens to Corsi, then – She's okay. I mean, knock on wood. I mean, Becky Sauerbrunn has been very, very healthy throughout her entire right. career. Um, right. And so I feel like it's just going to be a while for Sam to be, yep. you know, waiting right. for moments and minutes. Right. So I think Utah comes out on top of this. So the question then is like Houston and Chicago, yep. who got the better of this deal? Right. Well, and I think, I mean, like I said, I don't know. The question for me is going to be Houston and Chicago play so different. Um, and so to have to have those two going to Houston, I don't know how well they're going to fit. It's kind of what you were talking about with the you know square peg and the round hole. Like I don't know, are those two really going to gel with that group? Are they going to be able to kind of figure it out? You know what I mean? Does So if it were – for me, I, and I'm just kind of throwing this out there, looking at the lineup, I, I would say maybe Prince goes to the bench and Sophia Huerta. So you could do one or the other. Prince goes to the bench and Sophia Huerta just steps into that spot. Um, and you have Ojai on one side, Huerta on the other, Simon, Daly. Um, right. that's, that's not a bad four. Uh, Taylor Camo could fit inside the middle, maybe for Mathalo. But you know, maybe she goes to outside back as well. So I, Chapman and Hanson have struggled a little bit. I mean, it's been a back line that's been in a little bit of disarray over the past week. Even though they've been doing well and getting results, right. the back line is still, has still looked a little suspect. Yeah. Now, the question is going to be, Sophia Huerta's playing outside back for the national team. Yeah. Is she going to Houston to play fullback or is she going to Houston to be a winger? Exactly. And so I think those are going to be you could almost replace with Camo and Huerta and yep. just roll with them as fullbacks and keep what right. you have in front of you in front. Right. But then are you really using your acquisitions right. To, right. to the best of you? You know what I mean? I mean, it's possible I because mean, Daly and Ojai and Prince of all, Simon, they've all been doing well and scoring goals right. and getting results. So maybe you just need defensive help and right. getting better fullbacks certainly would help that. Right, but that's I think that one's going to be an interesting situation. Chicago right. obviously gets the fewer number of players right now, and mm -hmm. Brooke Elby, but I do think that Brooke Elby helps Chicago because you get a proper fullback who's yep. more defensively minded than yes. attack minded, yes. and now that Casey Short's back, I think the other side can be managed with Brooke Elby. Yep. And then you might even move Gilliland higher up the field. Right. So maybe Gilliland replaces Sofia Huerta's position 
-hmm. And now as a winger, and you've got a super fast winger now playing. you got Brooke LB and Casey Short playing. You've got, I think, and this has been kind of the thing on Twitter, what's going to happen with Julie Ertz? I think she's going to keep playing center back. Absolutely. (laughs) I think she's going to. I, I don't know. I mean, I think she's still going to play center back. You're you're getting Morgan Bryan, uh, yep. which, you know, for, like they have their rights and she's hanging out. She was at the game like they showed right, her. Right, she was right. at the game on the weekend. So clearly she's going to be with Chicago. Right. So you don't need Ertz and Morgan Bryan playing Ooh. holding midfielder. Like that's just not. So now your back line in Chicago is Casey Short, Brooke Elby, Julie Ertz, Katie Naughton. Alyssa Nair in goal, Morgan Bryan. Uh, you've got Vanessa DiBernardo, who was such a bright spot when she came oh, onto God. the field. Oh, my goodness. The key passes she was making were amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, DiBernardo, like, that team, <laughs> I mean, it's right. you do lose Sofia Huerta, who is a very good player and a mm-hmm. fan favorite. All you have to do is yeah. open Twitter to see how right. much people in Chicago um, – you know, yeah, like that's a whole other thing for like the Chicago right. front office is like, oh my goodness, like they just got <laughs> how rid are we gonna of, make like, up for this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like they're gonna have to start giving out like money or yeah, free right. beer or something <laughs> to make <laughs> up for for trading Sofia Huerta. Like people are not happy. Yeah. But this is still, I mean, Yuki Di Bernardo, Morgan Bryan in the middle. You have Gilliland, Kerr, Mots. Like, you still have, like, man. Now, what happens is, do they have any bench right. <laughs> now? Right. So Chicago was a, actually going to be a pretty deep, if you still had Seth Johnson, if you still have Taylor Camo, if you still, like, they were going to be pretty right. deep. Right. Now, not so much. <laughs> oh, right. So not to hope for no injuries. Yeah, which, I mean, tells us over this year. It has <laughs> been, if this year has been any indication. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't see that happening. But right. if they can get through the rest of their games with, you yeah. know, Rosie White healthy, yeah. with, uh, you know, with Julie Ertz staying healthy, DiBernardo, I mean, like, it was a bit of a <gasps> Julie right. Ertz and her ankle injury. <laughs> like, she had a bit of an ankle knock in the game, and yeah. you're like, well, hold your breath. <laughs> who is going, you know, is Summer Green right. going to play center back today? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, right. I mean, obviously that's an exaggeration, but, I, you know, like, you just yeah. don't know. I mean, you know, Sarah Gordon can do it, but then you're losing one side. I mean, and Sarah right. Gordon's one of the fastest players in the league. Right. So I think Chicago remains to be seen. Houston improves, um, but they were always going to be at the point of, hey, are is this a mere few weeks of gold right. or is this a new Long leaf? Term. Yeah. Right. And Utah, I mean, I think Utah just comes out on top of this thing. Um, well, I think they both do. I mean, Utah and Houston both come out with – they've got depth. They've got – you know, I mean, the people on their bench are going to be such good replacements just in case. Um, and then, you know, I think you're right. The question mark would definitely be Chicago. But now saying that, they're also – you know, a lot of people don't understand a lot of this is also in preparation for years to come. And yeah, yeah. with that first draft pick, I mean, now all of a sudden, yeah, you guys may, they may have made themselves better for this finish off this season, but also with that next year, they've got a big bargaining chip to have 
Yeah. So, I mean, that, that opens up some doors too. So it's just so interesting to kind of put all the pieces together and see how they're going to all fit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it'll be an interesting ride to see for Chicago. Like, I mean, they, they have a starting 11 on paper that for what is now 13 matches that we've just gone, my goodness, if they put a starting 11 that we see on the field, this could be like the, it would be North Carolina and like Chicago one and one a, and you know, like you just don't know, but they've never been able to do it. So we're like, please, (laughs) maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a bit more cohesion. Maybe everybody's a little bit more on the same page. Right. Hopefully, this is the the forward move from Chicago. But you know, Utah and Houston definitely seem in the short term like they uh, they were able to do something pretty impressive for themselves. Right. Um, right. On the back half of the season, so yeah, we shall see. Nice. I think uh, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think trades are still. I don't think the window's closed. So. Maybe uh, maybe no some other stuff uh, happens. You know, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> who would? I mean, who would have thought? Like before last week, you oh know what I mean? God. Like when all the rumors right. going around, like who on earth would have thought last week that Sophia right. Berta and Sam Johnson were getting traded out of um, out of Chicago, and that Kristen Press would actually end up playing back in the states? Like n- right. neither of those things, I would have been like, yeah, no, I don't. Nope. So. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's definitely a, a you never know what could happen. So as long as the window's open, I guess there's always room to room to move. So <laughs> with with that, we'll be here to cover it. Uh, stay tuned for Yael Everbush uh, and all that she has to say. Uh, really, really enjoyed uh, her, and you just may just may hear her back again one day so uh, she was she was great to have on so stay tuned for that and welcome to the nwsl rewind presented by modern soccer coach education we are back with the interview after the break for the national team and we're coming back from the break with an amazing interview bringing you today yael averbush uh she's gonna have a chat with us about a good many things in the league stuff she's doing personally and we are so so happy to have her here yael thank you so much for being on with us today oh my pleasure and that was uh you nailed the pronunciation of my name so that's good (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I will do my best throughout this. If I if I mess it up, uh, go no, ahead and just give perfect. me this money, you know, no problem. <laughs> so, so happy to have you here. I, I mean, it's it's great to have, I mean, we're amazed that we are able to have kind of the guests that we have and we appreciate you. You're the first like current player in the league, like rostered on the show. So cool. thank you so much. Oh, awesome. I didn't know I was the first. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we just, and here we just want to kind of do whatever we can to enjoy our passion, which is the NWSL and the and the women's soccer league, uh, professionally speaking. And so, just give us a bit of who you are, so that in case that there are people who don't know you, uh, shame on them if that's the case. But if just in case that is, tell us a little bit about who you are, where your journey was from 
college, North Carolina to where you are today? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from New Jersey, from Northern New Jersey. And like you said, went to college at University of North Carolina, um, was lucky enough there to be part of teams with like tons of national team players and pros who are still playing. So I was uh, really fortunate to have, you know, amazing college experience. And from there, um, actually started my professional career as the WPS, the former league, was starting up. So it was perfect timing for me coming out of college. In 2009, I joined Sky Blue FC. So I played at Sky Blue for a couple of years, um, Western New York for one year. And then unfortunately, uh, that league folded, as we all know. So during that time, I went overseas for a bit, including a little stint in Russia. And then I played in Sweden for a year and a half um, in Gothenburg and then came back to NWSL after that time and have played. Now, this is my I'm in my third club for NWSL. So I played for uh, the Washington Spirit then Kansas City. Um, which unfortunately no longer exists. And then now I'm with Seattle Rain. So that was a, a quick uh, update on everywhere I've played and, and everywhere I've been. But um, I, th I think I didn't leave anything out there. Might have forgotten a couple, but <laughs> it's been a long time now. At, at least from what I've seen, that, that was pretty comprehensive. So okay, Yeah, I'm like, I hope I'm naming all the teams I played for. That'd be bad to forget. If the internet is to be believed, I think yeah. that's, uh, that's everything that we've covered. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, the and I'll, I'll go there first is... I mean, the it's unfair a little bit because you played at Kansas City, but then it folded, and basically that team got folded into what is Utah now. But the coach, your coach, didn't change, so you're still playing for like and Donovsky. And I, I, talk to us about what the feeling was in that kind of motion of the league at that time. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, first of all, there was a lot of confusion surrounding what was actually happening um, on our end as players. You know, we honestly didn't know too much about the situation um, before everything happened with the team technically just moving to Utah. So we were kind of waiting, waiting, waiting almost right up to the day and wondering, you know, are we going to have the same team with the same ownership? Is it going to be still in Kansas City, but maybe with new ownership? Are we going to be moved somewhere, which is technically what ended up happening? Uh, is it going to be, if we were moved somewhere, would it be an existing MLS franchise? Would it just be somewhere else with new ownership? So there were like so many questions swirling around. And as players, it's really unsettling because, uh, you know, our careers are up and down enough without the wondering like where your team's going to be in a couple months. So it was a pretty uh, weird time for all of us. And people would be texting each other and saying, like, hey, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? There's obviously rumors. But then um, with the team, with the final news that the team was moving to Utah and the group then, then talking to the owners there and stuff, I think it was very clear it was going to be a great situation. I mean, they've gone above and beyond to make it clear that they entered this you know, for the right reason. So I think uh, that was a really positive move. And then for me personally, um, you know, I was set to go there before I was traded to Seattle. And I'm, you know, I'm at the point in my career where I do think I could be happy in a lot of places. But Vladko has been um, a really great coach for me personally at this stage in my career. And it kind of helped me to reshape my game uh, later on in my career. So I feel very happy to personally be in Seattle and that a bunch of my teammates from Kansas City are having a great experience in Utah. Yeah, I mean, and so now that you're you're in Seattle, you could have ended up in Utah or you've been in Kansas City and other programs. What is it about specifically about this team, this culture, this environment that you think, because Seattle's been very successful, 
Uh, and it looks like that train isn't really stopping anytime soon. What do you think about this program is making it make the moves that it has thus far? Yeah, it's interesting because there's obviously the existing Seattle franchise and culture, which I hadn't been a part of until this year. Um, but going there now, I kind of learned a little bit more about it. Um, whereas, you know, seeing it from the outside, I always really admired the Seattle fan base and just the caliber of players that were part of the club. I think the club is really invested to bring some of the top players in the world, uh, not just the country, to Seattle. Yeah. So I think, you know, you can tell that from the outside. But then now being actually on the team, I see, too, um, just the the investment, not just financially, but the, the true investment of um, Bill, the owner, to, to make it a wonderful experience and treat the players truly professionally, um, I think plays a huge part. So it's, it, there are many factors. And then obviously I had played for Vlaco before, so he's the new piece that's like, definitely plays a, a huge part in the team culture. So I think you have like the existing culture in Seattle surrounding the team and the dedication of the, the team ownership to make it a top-notch place to play in the whole world, like just one of the top clubs in the world. And then now you have to a coach, and, and I, Laura Harvey had done an amazing job from everything I heard and saw. So it's that in that part, it's not a, any bit of a change in quality. I think it's just a, a different style and a different person, different personality. So knowing Vlatko well, I know that he, something that that I really appreciate is that he does a great job. I think it's setting um, the stage for a really positive team culture. He wants to go out and enjoy what he does every day and hopes the players are doing the same. Um, but at the same time, it's business and there will never be a time when he's satisfied with the team performance and you're just kind of in, um, you know, you just show up every day or, and you're in a kind of, I can't even think of the word right now, but, but basically um, you're always looking to fine tune details and get better. Uh, but at the same time, enjoying what you do. And I think that's the best combination. If you think about a playing environment when you're on the field, you want to feel like you have a purpose and that there's something to accomplish and somewhere you need to go. But also you want to be enjoying it along the way. Uh, nobody wants to be miserable every day going to work. Yeah. So I think um, it, it's just a really enjoyable place to play with the proper support behind it. Uh, I mean, it, it seems from the outside looking in that it's, it definitely does seem like it's a different focus maybe the quality isn't that hasn't changed between Laura Harvey and Blacko, but it's now maybe the focus is slightly different in how you go about trying to win at the weekend um, but you can feel that, that maybe there's with the kind of different resurgence of different players Megan Rubino and some others in the squad that you're like maybe there's a slight change in just the the upbeat necessity of like day-to-day -day work there and so because it can it does seem like it can get uh different teams and we've talked to different coaches and things that there's a, a major grind kind of to how the year works especially this season we've talked to coaches with this schedule and how the games have played out this year it's like it can be really really hard to deal with mentally and physically and so I would imagine just being able to kind of enjoy going to work every day, for, like anybody, you know, in any industry would make that a lot, a lot easier to be able to like get up and positively perform. For sure. And that's actually something that's interesting. Even before I played um, for Vlaco in Kansas City, it was something I noticed about his team is that where everyone seemed to hit that point in the season where they were like mentally and physically totally fried, it seemed like Kansas City was just still kind of cruising and like still getting better when maybe some other teams had peaked and or even on the decline or others were like really hitting that point where like, like you said, it's just a grind. Um, 
there it always seemed like everyone was still just kind of uh okay and like still getting better slowly but surely and then playing for him i i was able to see that and feel that myself you know and i it's kind of i think there are some tangible aspects to it in terms of him you know not overtraining the team and then there's the mental part of enjoying it but i think there's also kind of maybe an intangible that just has to do with his approach and he has a very even keeled approach there's no point in the season where you're going to have um, a period of time where you feel like it's just so grueling and then another period of time where it's like super light it's just very steady so you're always training at what feels like the proper intensity for the time and you feel like at the end of training every time like maybe you could have done a little bit more and like there's still more to be done but you're not like oh i did we didn't do enough so it's kind of always that good middle ground and just the the idea that you're going to chip away and get a little better every day and there's no it's not a race to get there in the first month of the season but then there comes a point where it's like we got to keep getting better or it's not going to be good enough for playoffs so um i think i think it has to do with his approach and kind of it gives that longevity to the team in terms of not just still feeling good but also still improving late in the season it, so contrast that for us with other places maybe you've been uh just to give us a, a feel of what is that like when you're in Sweden? What is that like when you're playing in North Carolina for Anson Dorrance? What is that like when you're, you know, what does it feel like in that environment in other places you've been? Yeah, it's really interesting because the NWSL, so it's funny because the two examples you brought up, um, Sweden has a, a much longer season. The season's almost a whole year. And then college in North Carolina, it's like a very short three months. <laughs> so because of that, I think that that influenced the environment a lot. Like in North Carolina, we went, 100 miles an hour all out as intense as far as you can go every practice all season but then again it's three months and you have that you can recover for however long you need and then in sweden it was a, a shockingly um slower approach it was like there's no need to ever go 100 percent yet like even in preseason, it was like we have a long time and the swedish people are very laid back and we had you know, if you're sick, you just don't come to training that day. It's like, it's better to get healthy. You have all year. You're going to train every day all year. It's not like you need to make the most of every five minutes at every point. So that was kind of like a refreshing environment in some ways. And then I would say in a lot of ways, the NWSL in general is just between those two because because of the time frame of the season. It's that six, seven month time where you're like, you can't just go hard and max out. You have to actually, um, you know, plan, plan it, their season in phases. But at the same time, you don't have all year and there is like time will run out. So you can't have the super slow approach. So um, I've definitely played for different coaches that have different approaches to that and different methodologies. And a lot of it does have to do with the strength and conditioning portion, too. Like I know in Seattle, um, we have a strength and conditioning coach who a lot of times will dictate to Vlatko a little bit of like the workload for the day. So like you can have them working at high intensity for this amount of time. So then I'm sure Vlatko has to go and, and figure out his drills to to make sure he can accomplish what he needs to without having us, you know, running too much and then not fresh for the game. So I think, um, you know, depending on where I played in the length of the season and also the influence of the strength and conditioning coach, it, it's just been like a lot of variation in terms of that feeling. And that's, so you've played and you, you've done all, like, what is, what is next? Like, so what else, because it is a six month season, so what is what do you spend the other half of your year kind of doing? 
Yeah, so for me, um, in the last few years, um, just because I've had a ton of upheaval in my life and career, in the last few years, a lot of players, they'll go and play elsewhere in the offseason in Australia or other leagues. I've, I've pretty much just dedicated my offseason to training and also um, growing my personal business. You know, it started off where I was doing some camps and clinics in the offseason in addition to my own training. And now um, I've launched my own business called Techni Football. It's a technical training app. So that takes a lot of my time. So I basically, um, I actually, I would say I spend more time at work, quote unquote, in the off season. Like I, in addition to pretty hard training every day, cause I don't need to be rested for anything in terms of on the field and lifting. Then I do, you know, a, a real person job kind of uh, now, you know, with my business. So I, so the off season for me, um, isn't too much different than the season besides the fact that I'm not competing in games in terms of like I'm putting in the physical work every day and then spending time with my computer, which is basically what I do in season as well. So tell us about the, so what is technique football? Like explain that a little bit to us. Yeah. So basically the thing that I credit with allowing me to personally play at the highest level is the time that I spent with the ball over the years. And I still do. Um, outside of my organized team training sessions and games. And I was really lucky as a young player to have coaches who showed me like, hey, if you wanna be good, you have to learn how to juggle. And like, oh, now you can do it on your thighs. Well, like, what about your feet? Things like that. And so I was set in motion to become obsessed with, you know, spending time with the ball. I would go to the schoolyard near my house and for hours do right foot, left foot, inside of the foot, laces, bending the ball, all of those basics. And so what I've basically done is put um, all that stuff into kind of a blueprint for other players to follow. So maybe players think, you know, I want to spend time with the ball. I want to train on my own, but I don't really know what to do. Um, you know, nowadays everyone has their phone. So basically uh, the Technique Football app, when you download it, anyone could try a one-week free trial, by the way, if you want to try it out. But um, it gives you a weekly training session that I create that changes over every week. And you can do it as many times as you want. And the app tracks how much time you've spent training. So a big element of it is being aware that if you really want to master the ball, you know, there's been the, uh, the talk of the 10,000 hour uh, rule. Does it really take 10,000 hours to be a master? Well, either way, whether it's exactly 10,000 hours or more or less for different people, the whole concept is you have to put in the time and there's no shortcut. You know, even today with technology and all the cool stuff and gimmicks and equipment that comes out, there's no substitute for putting in the time to master the skills of the craft. This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at modernsoccercoach.com. Becoming a master of the ball. Yeah, I remember listening to Tiffany Milbert talk one time where she said she just spent hours every day. There was a wall by her house and she just used to hit the ball against the wall for one to two hours every day. And that was basically how this amazing soccer player. And it's like that, that's a, a, an art maybe that gets a little lost in coaching this particular generation is like, it's not just your hour and a half or hour and 10 minutes that you're with your coach. What do you do to develop yourself if you want to separate yourself from everybody else? Because not everybody's going to do what you're talking about at this point. And so if you have different dreams, you have to have different uh, outcomes. So it's, I mean, that's an amazing way of trying to reach a generation that maybe hasn't tapped into that extra bit of work yet. 
Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because that's actually something I realize a lot about. I mean, it sounds weird to say this generation, but I think it definitely has changed over time. There's like kind of the missing understanding that, like you said, like a coach once said to me, and I, it seems so obvious, but I actually wrote this down. Um, she said, if you do the same thing as everyone else, you'll be just like everyone else. And I was like, oh, that's obvious. But then when I thought about it more, I was like, you know what? I think that people miss that thing is that, you know, if you ask a group of, of 100 kids at a clinic, who wants to play on the national team, like 85 of them will raise their hand. And then if you at, like actually say to them, okay, well, if all of you want to be on the national team and everyone in the country your age, hundreds of thousands of players are going to raise their hand, like what are you going to do that's going to make you make it instead of all those people? And they're kind of like, it's like their mind is blown. Like they never considered that other people maybe wanted to do that same thing and only a few of them make it. So I think like that whole concept is really important to understand is that if you want to be an elite player, if you want to play college soccer, if you want to go on to play pro or be on the national team, like at each step along the way, there are fewer and fewer players that make it. So you need to be doing something more or different um, than the other people who all say they have that dream. And um, that's how I grew up thinking. I was like always terrified that someone out in California or somewhere would train me more than me. So I would be out training and being like, I have to do a little more in case someone in Texas is training more than me. It's like, I think um, I think it's an important mindset if you want to be really good. Yeah, and I mean, and that's the kudos for being able to tap into that for because otherwise there's just there's, I don't know that there's a lot of people who are focusing on the extra training portion, and I think that is especially for this podcast coming out of kind of modern soccer coach and that whole situation is like that's one of the extra training component is huge in trying to develop. And we think of development in this like really like small, like, Hey, it's session part one, session part two. And then we talk to your coach and you, but development is all of the things that you're doing outside. It's all of, you know, the mental hand eye coordination. It's, it's all of the finite little things that you're doing outside of what you're learning in order to get to the level that you're trying to achieve. And it's, I mean, it's great to see that there's another way, of tapping into that for players. Cause I think that would be huge for coaches as well to know. It's like, Hey, there's this thing out here. If you need your players to get extra work, how can you make it fun? How can you make it interesting? How can you get it from somebody who's been there, done that, who's seen the other side of what that work can provide. And so for me, that's a, an amazing tool to have for coaches, not just player, you know, certainly you want players to get into it, but coaches promoting that sort of a thing definitely uh, would be a, a great avenue to make your player the best. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and it's true, exactly what you said. Like in an ideal world, all the players would already be doing that and there'd be a culture of street soccer and like we wouldn't even have to talk about this. But for coaches who feel like they, they need to give their kids that extra motivation, that's basically what I've tried to do is, is kind of meet players where they are. If they're not going to just go out and randomly do it on their own, well, they all have a phone, there's a competitive element, there's a leaderboard. So if you sign up your team as a coach, you can you know, make it competitive and say like, oh, uh, whoever Jimmy topped the leaderboard this this week, I'm going to, you know, reward him and give him a prize. So the coach can stay engaged with it, but not actually have to be there while the players are doing the work. So they're doing it on their own, but the coach is still kind of involved and linked to it. And they can, you know, they can show off what they've done through the, the stats of the athletes. Oh, and it's it's super personally competitive. I, I saw your your 20 touch Thing that you put on Twitter a couple of days ago. I just finished like trying it and like out like two seconds before we stopped here, and I was still trying to get it all the way done. So it's a it's a very very competitive 
eternally competitive, which I, I think is massive, massive for now is like intrinsic motivation. Like how much are we doing is like just having an intrinsic motivation for like being better. No, I'm going to get it. I'm going to do it. How many times are we going to, you know, our kids going to start watching the World Cup and go, oh, wow, that free kick was this. And I'm going to go out and try and hit that ball a hundred times. You know, it's that sort of until I get it right. You know, and so that for me, I think it, it's absolutely taps into the, the competitive nature of, of people who have that in, internally. For sure. I mean, I know I, if someone posts a video of a challenge or, or if a post <laughs> yeah. ever showed me something that I couldn't do, I definitely would not be seeing that person again until I can do it. So <laughs> I know like that's my mindset. So I think, yeah, it's, it's fun to share that with other people. And now with social media and technology, it's like made it so much easier to share those kind of things and compete virtually. <laughs> well, tell us uh, how we can see you on social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you may have. And uh, give us the, the uh, app again one more time. Yeah, so I'd say the easiest thing that links to everything is um, my personal website is just Yael Averbush. So I'll, I'll spell my name because it's probably going to be most difficult. <laughs> but it's Y-A-E-L-A-V-E-R-B-U-C-H.com. And on there, it links to my Twitter, my personal Instagram. Uh, I, read, I read a blog, not as often as I would like to, but uh, if anybody's interested in checking that out. And then uh, my business is Techni Football. So T-E-C-H-N-E. F-U-T-B-O-L, and uh, the website is technifootball.com. If you want to just go to the app store and download the app, you can, like I said, try a one-week free trial. Um, and that also, it's our uh, social media handles are all just technifootball, um, all one word. So definitely check it out. And, you know, I, I, if you're trying to encourage your players to put in that extra work and you're looking for something that you can help them get competitive about and kind of make it a little gamified, I really recommend it. So, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. The, the gamification, that was like the, the buzzword over at uh, the convention. I thought uh, lots yeah. of people talking about gamification. We shouldn't need they, it, but it definitely, it works. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate it so much. Good luck uh, with the rain uh, coming back, and hopefully that's a, a, a long-term situation for you, and you can, you know, we'll see you in the playoffs, maybe, maybe beyond, hopefully. So we wish you and all the rain. Good luck. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yael Everbush with us. We will see you all next week.